midnight The sun was so bright The moon had no light But I could see This big old Sasquatch Said he was top-notch At playing hopscotch Way up in a tree the Shaky Town Radio Hour is on the air. I am Brody Foster Hubbard. Gene George is still on assignment. I think that just means he was too lazy to come today. Uh, but we do have guests for you today. A guest named Ashley Quatch. She is the author, illustrator, genius, lovely soul behind Sasquatch. S-A-S-S-Q-U-A-C-H because you're sassy. And Quatch is my last name. Yes. So that worked out well. <laughs> it did. Um, we are in, once again, the Eagle's Nest, the Shaky Town studio, which Ashley was commenting on the decor. I, for those of you that have never been here, I mean, it's, what, what is this, like a shed? I, I consider it a studio. Oh, well, you can uh, call it a shed if you'd like. It's very cold, so I'm going to go with shed. <laughs> Henry Rollins the, would call it a shed. <laughs> but there's uh, like black tulle over the windows and, and like a futon. So it kind of looks like if I was still in high school and I liked, you know, those vampire novels that the girls like. It, this looks like the place where I would like gather my little friends together and then we would talk about vampire novels, you know. Right. Something like that. You said, I think, a goth clubhouse. Yeah, like a goth clubhouse, but yeah. not not for real goth, like high school goth, mm. you know. Because, I mean, it is pretty. It's very pretty yeah. tool. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um... We would, pro- we would probably have, like, antique English china teacups. Mm-hmm. I should get some of those for And we ha- would have fingerless gloves, yeah. you know. It would be really fun. I think I might still have fingerless gloves from a bandit costume. From a couple Halloweens ago, <laughs> I had the uh, uh, the the mask over my eyes, and the uh, was that my costume? No, no, that was actually my long-suffering spouse, uh, Meg. Her her costume. I, I dressed up as Sons of Anarchy because I had the beard. This is my first podcast beardless. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wonder if the listeners can hear the difference. Perhaps? I think they can. I think there's some. <laughs> Subtle changes in the the aerodynamics and therefore the sound waves. You don't hear quite as much rustling when you. Yeah, talk. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's um, I it's I've gotten a lot of shocked reactions, mostly positive. It's do, made eating a lot easier. Do people not recognize you now? Do you get people that you know do the they pass you by and they do a little double take and they're like, oh, oh. Absolutely, people who have seen me in real life. Yes, I, like even at my work, um, and then you know there's been a couple uh, zine events uh, leading up to. LA Zine Fest, which we'll talk about, but yeah, I, I went to a, a little shindig and people didn't recognize me quite right away. Do you miss it? Uh, not yet. I'm still into the novelty of it mm-hmm. so far. I haven't seen my face in like eight years, so yeah, I dig it. So mm-hmm. far, so good. <laughs> um, I think I will keep it shaved for LA Zine Fest. Okay. Which is coming up That's in just a few up. weeks, February 15th, um, or I'm sorry, February 16th. Let's Let's get this straight. Because there's so many events coming up for LA Zine Week and LA Zine Fest. Uh, Ashley, you'll be tabling at LA Zine Fest. This is your first zine event? Um, Yes, actually. uh, First time with LA Zine Fest because we haven't lived actually in LA that long. Um, And I was super excited to hear that I got in. It was sort of a last minute thing. First time I've applied. Yeah. Got waitlisted. Yeah. So I was super excited to sort of, you know, get in a little bit. And... So yeah, I don't really know what to expect. I'm 
the only thing I've ever tabled at before was ApeCon in what, 2012? Mm -hmm. 2012, yeah. yeah. Um, and that was fun. That's actually the first time I met uh, Yumi Sakagawa, who is so cool. But Yeah, our mutual friend Yumi. Uh, but it was it was really interesting. It's it's always a really interesting experience to, you know, to to see people in person to try you know like you know when you remove the barrier of the internet and you're interacting in person. But then again, like you know when I was tabling at Ape, why would anybody know me? Nobody knew me. So like <laughs> I was mostly just cold pitching to strangers that were passing by. Um, I sold very few books that day, but I did give out, give away like a lot of free stickers. Yeah. Um, my, my favorite guy that came to the table, I actually drew into a comic and he'll be in, I, I'm, I'm preparing my second collection of Sasquatch comics for the LA Zine Fest. And so that one's in there. Uh, but it was this guy who was just huge, big old tall fella, uh, maybe a little egg shaped. And he comes up to me, just he's, he's got a briefcase, and he's got those really big glasses that are from, like, 1985. And he says, what's the largest woman you've ever seen? And I said, in real life? He's like, yes. I don't know, man, like, 6'1", six, 6'2". Six, he's like, the tallest woman I've ever seen, 6'11", or something like that. 6'7", because I can't remember. Anyway, and just, he's just staring over my head into the distance. And then he says, do you draw large women? <laughs> and I said, no. And he kind of flipped through my books for a second. And then he just went away. <laughs> it was great. Like, I think he came to my table. I think he probably saw me in the list and was like, Sasquatch. I like Sasquatches. I should go check this out. Uh, unfortunately, I did not exactly have what he thought I was going to provide. Like, I, I was just not particularly peddling that service that day. Um, however, now that I think, I, I did draw him a couple for that comic, but maybe I should just do one zine that's just me drawing very large women. Yeah. I realized that because when I went to, uh, when I went to pick up my badge for ApeCon, they, they had him, I forget the name of the place, but it was just one of those, you know, local printing press kind of situations. And you had to walk through the stock room, you know, to get to where you had to pick up your badge from. And lots of porn lots and lots and lots of cartoon porn like you know like you know schoolgirls and little skirts and like you know fanny is in the air and like whatever <laughs> and i was like wow that's that's a i guess this is how people make money you know putting their cartooning skills because i mean <laughs> you know hey it'll sell <laughs> yeah yeah i guess i should say this so um the thing that i had that went viral this past year was this thing called uh boys night which was a collaboration I did with Max Landis. And I think, honestly, one of the reasons why it went viral is because it was a huge hit on furry websites. Okay, yeah. Huge. Yeah, like, this is a Disney character. Yeah, so this is, it was, uh, Max's pitch was basically like entourage with Disney, kind of. It wasn't really, but whatever. It's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's like the Disney guys grew up and you're sort of in this universe where they were, you know, industry guys, you know, like big actors, directors who are really big at one point, maybe not so much anymore, but still sort of everybody knows who they are. It's a fixture in Hollywood. And so it's sort of, you know, like a midlife crisis thing. But it's like, but there, it's it's not that there's sexy scenes in there. There's a sort of the, like a, a little whisper of it, a little hint at it. And I think something about that, like, I don't know if it would have blown up without it, but... 
But it kind of did. And so we kept seeing, like, these, uh, you know, because on on our website, you can sort of see who's, like, which websites were referring people to the comic. And, yeah, there was just a ton. It wasn't just, like, one furry website. There were just tons of them, all these different message boards. And it was kind of cute for a while. We were, like, giggling about it. But then after the comic had been out for, like, three weeks, suddenly (laughs) kind of blew up, you know. So... (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, there's a seedy underbelly or a furry underbelly, if you will. I I gotta you know, I mean, hey, you know, whatever you're into, whatever your whatever your trip is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but it's just kind of funny, like I, I maybe that that's the key to going viral is <laughs> you gotta have you gotta you gotta be someone's fetish, you yeah. know. <laughs> I was joking with Yumi, actually, that maybe my next one should be, like, about feet, you know? Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know, um, I, I have a friend who will remain nameless, but they had written, I don't think it's been published, but I remember reading something about, uh, and hearing stories about them being on a date, and somebody was really into their feet, and I know that there's, like, a whole foot, Yeah. Yeah. Quentin Tarantino is really into feet, isn't he? And yeah, 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 yeah you can like, see from Kill Bill. That's like Bill. the most famous. <laughs> yeah, the most famous foot, foot fetishist <laughs> probably ever. I wonder, do foot fetish people have those things where you you go to the shoe store and you can size your, I don't know what you call those devices? I don't know either. Like, is that still a thing? I don't know. I haven't I haven't been to an actual shoe store in, in decades, actually, I think. Yeah. <laughs> How do you order your footwear? Um, I, I'm an eBay kind of gal. Yeah. Like I, I, uh, I, eBay kind of ruined me for like real stores. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. just kind of, yeah, that size sounds right. Um, well, the, the trick is to measure your own foot and then ask the person to measure the insole. This is oh. such an interesting thing to talk about. This is helpful. It's helpful. <laughs> Little life hacks for the, for the audience. <laughs> There's got to be somebody, though, with, like, antique foot measuring devices. That's got to be, like, a, a hobby, like a... Collecting those? Yeah. I'm sure someone does. Someone does. I, but now that we've talked about it, I, I, I do kind of have to wonder. Like, I, again, like, haven't been to an actual shoe store in a really long time. I'm sure they must. Well, I went to Runner's Circle. A friend of mine was picking out running shoes, and they had, like, a whole thing. Where, like, I swear there was... A, I'm sure there was a machine involved at some point, too, where they, like, stood on it, and it you know, read their foot in a way, and, yeah. In the future, they're just going to make you, like, stick your foot on an ink pad and then step on a piece of paper, and then they'll feed it into a computer. Yeah. And then it'll have one of those 3D printers, and it'll print you a shoe. Yeah, that'll work. <laughs> the future. That's the bummer about, like, Back to the Future Part 2. Like, that's all supposed to take place next year, in 2015. Are I we... know, I've seen the internet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't have self-drying clothes. Hoverboards. This may shock you. I have not seen the uh, Back to the Future sequels. No, that's, you, yeah. You've seen the, the original though. Seen the original, of course. Like who? Okay. Who do you think I am? Just but checking. like, but something about like I, I I always saw little pieces of them like flipping through the channels. Never actually sat through the sequels. Yeah. You know. Well, I mean, number two is great because it's all futuristic. Mm-hmm. Number three that's is... That's when they're cowboys, right? Is Yeah, straight up Western. Which is really strange, isn't it? Yeah. Like, it's... they must have thought they were going to do more than just the third one. They must have thought that they were going to, like, go and visit lots of other, you know, time periods with the, the Back to the Future machine. I think there you was... Know. I'm sure there was conversations about that. 
I know that they two and three were written as one script called Back from the Future, oh. and they decided they had so much material they could split it up, much like the Twilight movie. They could split up the last chapter into parts. Here's a pitch. Um, Amadeus meets Back to the Future. We have Back to the Future 4, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They accidentally mess it up, and I don't know. Uh, they got to, they gotta, you know, like Mozart's really depressed, and they got to bring him back into the game, and then Marty plays, I don't know, uh, Johnny be good on the on the yeah, no, right. no on the on the harpsichord. Yeah, <laughs> we have a little bit of that in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. That's I, true. There's that's a true. but that's beef oven, as they call him mm-hmm. in the movie. I I have actually seen Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, uh, which is surprisingly depressing, isn't it? It's very existential. It is like how the hell did that get made? I, I don't know. <laughs> it's it's I, I like that one a lot. It's a deep and horrible look into the human soul. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm sentimental about Bill and Ted because it was filmed in my hometown, the oh, first really? one. Um, I actually just recently reunited with somebody from the, the cast who I knew, who mm-hmm. I went to school with, who was a child actor in the movie. And um, yeah, like that Circle K was like my neighborhood, Circle K. <laughs> and um, I think Ted's house was a girl's house that I went to school with as well. So yeah, but the second one is just crazy. It's And it's got the Grim Reaper, and it has... Um, uh, Pam Greer. What more do you need? And Bill and Ted, they're playing for their immortal souls. I mean, mm-hmm. that's kind of, maybe that's what we need more of. We need more really deep existential, existential probing films that are sort of wrapped in goofiness. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, where is my car? <laughs> Dude, what is my car? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> what am I doing with my life? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that's what that should be. So, Ashley, let's talk about your, your your deep, dark past. You are from North Carolina. I am from North Carolina. Born and raised. I am. And yeah. and schooled as well. Schooled in North Carolina. Yeah. Um, so, it's interesting. Uh, yeah, I've lived my whole life in North Carolina. And when, when I was at U, the University of North Carolina, I worked on the, you know, like those phone bank fundraising machines that call you and they try to trick alumni into giving money and yeah. stuff like that. Uh, I used to get yelled at on the phone a lot because people didn't think I sounded Southern. You know, they're like, you're lying. You're calling from, from India or something. Like, you're not from North Carolina. I'm like, oh, but I was. I was born and raised in Charlotte. You know, <laughs> they didn't believe me. So I had to, when I was working there, I had to crank up the Southern accent a lot so they would hear it a little more. And I do that from time to time. And, you know, Paul, my husband, says that I do it more when I get really excited about things. <laughs> or really angry. But, you know, uh, <laughs> Um, but yeah, I've, but I have noticed like when you turn on the Southern accent, people are a little nicer to you. They're a little more patient. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they're, you know, they think they're working with <laughs> someone who might be a little slower on the uptick. So, <laughs> you know, uh, but I've wondered that sometimes I, I keep thinking like, I'm like, maybe I should turn it up a little more now that we're out in, here in California and Los Angeles and whatnot. Anyway. Uh, yeah. North Carolina, born and raised. And you, and you said Charlotte was was the Charlotte's where uh, born sort of grew up in the Charlotte metro area. Mm-hmm. Matthews is like the the suburb. So you, and know. you, you went to school in Chapel Hill, though, right? Uh, that's where I where I did college. Yeah, okay. um, I also went to the School of Science and Math, which is out in Durham, in Duke Country. So, <laughs> so which one were you, science or math, or both? Is it both? Actually, interestingly enough, not really either. I was a really, I was kind of just kind of along for the ride. So I've got a twin brother 
who is a brilliant mathematician. I usually explain to people if you saw the film A Beautiful Mind, that's kind of what he does, game theory. And usually when I say that, people are like, oh, so is he crazy? No, no, he's not. He's just a really brilliant guy. And and he was always the math guy, you know, growing up. And so he was absolutely going to go to science and math, and I had really no plans to do so. You know, and he talked me into coming along to the informational meeting, and, you know, like, boy, they can really sell you good in those informational meetings, make it sound like, like it's going to be a fairyland of, like, education and, you know, enlightenment. And it's, it really sounds really fabulous. And so the next day, like, I went and I was talking to my math teacher, and I had a very difficult math teacher that year. She was very, very grim, very old, very grim. She had a blueberry farm. And <laughs> she was just a really tough grader, and I was trying so hard in her class. And I, so I was trying to score some, some points with her, and I said, you know, I was thinking about applying to science and math. And then she looked at me and she said, uh, I guess you could be good at science, couldn't you? And I went, oh. <laughs> and so I, I, I was like, I'll show you. And I applied. And then we got in. And so I was like, well, I guess I'll go now. <laughs> you know, um, and, but I did. I did. And I managed to keep my head above water. I did, you know, fairly well, you know, A's and B's and stuff like that. Um, it was so hard that first year. They just beat the living crap out of you. But it's also, it is exactly everything they promised, you know, like everybody there was completely brilliant. All the teachers there were completely brilliant. You know, they teach you things you never would have learned otherwise. I learned things that I never could have learned in college. You know, just, it, just, it was an amazing time. And luckily, they also had a really incredible humanities department. And my favorite teacher I've ever had was there, uh, Dr. Lisa Nanny. And she was also really, really tough. <laughs> um, a really tough grader. And I also kept trying to win some, you know, some brownie points with her to no success until I finally entered a writing contest that she had been touting to the class. She's like, everybody, you know, enter this. It's a creative writing contest. You know, I'm helping the blah, blah, blah. I guess she was somehow involved with it. Nobody wanted to enter. It's science and math. Of course, nobody <laughs> wanted to enter. But I entered and I actually won a prize for poetry. And so after that, she was kind of like, oh, I get it now this one's creative. And so she, she didn't grade me any easier, <laughs> but she did take me with a grain of salt and she was just very encouraging. And she would give me like little packets of short stories to read by by authors she thought were really good. She did not fail me when I gave my senior presentation on why John Fowles is just screwing with everybody in the mega. So I was like, John Fowles hates you, everybody. Here's my presentation. She didn't, she, she gave me a C, but she didn't fail me like she should have. <laughs> um, so I, she was just terrific, and she's probably the biggest reason why I ended up pursuing writing because I didn't really, I didn't really pursue it with any kind of fervor before I was in her class, and then I, I did, you know, and that's largely due to her influence. Um, <laughs> she, I think she's off. Uh, I forget which university she's teaching at now, but I emailed her once when I started doing screenwriting. I was like, guess what? I'm screenwriting now. She was like, oh. <laughs> oh, I'm sure she was like, oh, failed. You know, all that work gone now just to the entertainment industry. But yeah. <laughs> How long did you hang around North Carolina? I was just about to say North Kakalaki. North Kakalaki. I do I've never called it that. No. I don't know anybody that calls it that except for white guys trying to sound cool. Sorry yeah. to call you out there. You know. <laughs> 
Um, I was there until 2007. Uh, that's when I graduated college, and then I moved to the San Francisco Bay Area. So, so. what drew you to the Bay Area? Well, <laughs> uh, actually, I was some incredibly handsome. <laughs> so that's that's our that's off to the side right now is Paul. That's Paul. <laughs> Paul, if you if you read my website, you know who Paul is. Paul's my husband. Um, Paul is also, I, I honestly, I couldn't do Sasquatch without him because it's his prowess with the internet and with websites and with, you know, Photoshop. He's really, really good. He's my guy. Um, and he's also the guy that is constantly pitching these horrible punny titles, you know, which sometimes I let him, I let him go with it. Other times I'm like, I, I'm like, no, absolutely not. I'm trying to remember what the last one was. There have been some truly terrible ones. I really should start writing them down. Um, there was one comic that we did about, uh, it was called Stripper Cane. It was sort of like, you know, Magic Mike meets Sharknado. And, uh, but he kept pitching. And the one that finally landed was, he's got, he's like, you got to put a titty twister in there. And I was like, God, <laughs> fine. <laughs> You're right. That is pretty good. <laughs> um so anyway, uh, but he and I got to know each other when I was still in college. Um, he was my uh, pen pal. He was my Chinese pen pal because I had a friend staying with me, Grace Lee. She was staying with me, and she had a Chinese pen pal of her own. And I was in journalism school at the time, and I had absolutely no social life. And so I was like, wow, well, that would certainly behoove me to learn a different language. You know, that would be kind of fun. So I got on Google, you know, clickety-clack, you know, clicked on a thing, you know, clicked on another thing, you know, saw Paul's profile picture, and Paul's picture was just really goofy. And I was like, well, he certainly looks non-threatening, you know. And then I noticed that he was in San Francisco, and I was like, well, I really like San Francisco. I could see living there one day. It'd be kind of nice to know somebody there. And so we started emailing back and forth, and it was just, like, as friends first. And so it was mostly Simpsons references and things like that, you know, which is kind of you know, sometimes I jokingly tell people that like we that we are together because of our love of the Simpsons, you know. <laughs> and people laugh. They're like, Oh, that's so funny. I'm like, no, it's kinda true. It's it's terrible. It's like a shorthand, but you know, it's kinda necessary, you know, because Paul's a little on the shy side, you know, needed something to open him up. So so yeah, so he was my uh pen pal for basically my senior year of college. And somewhere in the course of it, I think probably about halfway through fall semester. Because like we we got we started writing to each other in the summer. And were you you said Chinese pen pal? You're writing in Chinese to no. To you see the thing is like learn the all right. language better. <laughs> so here's the thing. Paul's mom signed him up for this because she wanted him to meet a Chinese girl to marry. Uh, I got gypped. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Um, so no, Paul is actually a really terrible Chinese teacher. He'll try to tell me how to say something, and then I'll say it to his mom, and she'll look at me, and she'll look at him, and. Then she'll say, what? <laughs> but in Chinese. And because Paul's a terrible teacher at Chinese, I don't know how to say what in Chinese. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really, I know how to say very, very little. <laughs> so that, that was the, pre, the pretext for corresponding, but it didn't work out it was as far pretext. as that goes. It, it, was, it, became, it was the reason why the initial query went out, but we just sort of had such a lively banter back and forth to begin with. Like, I kind of forgot about learning Chinese, like, yeah. almost immediately. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, like, but maybe about, like, halfway through the fall, the fall semester, we decided that we were going out. And then 
uh, I sort of made the decision to move to San Francisco, which I know they say you shouldn't do to move, you know, move cross country to be with somebody. It is a gamble. I don't recommend it for most people. <laughs> it kind of panned out so far. You might say that everything <laughs> came up Millhouse. Exactly. And we constantly tell people, they, again, they think it's a joke. Maybe it is, maybe not. First child's going to be named Millhouse, whether it's a boy or a girl. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> if it's a girl, we'll call her Millie. Yeah. God help us if it's a boy, because then he'll just be <laughs> Millhouse. <laughs> My mom is not a fan of that joke. She does not like it when we joke about that. Yeah. <laughs> so what part of San Francisco were you living in? Um, well, when I first moved out, I was in Redwood City, and then moved across the bridge to the Fremont area. So that's more like East Bay, kind of halfway between... Uh, San Francisco and San Jose. And um, you, you, were you involved in uh, like going to shows at all? Because Chapel Hill is from what I remember, like it was a pretty good music. Oh yeah, town. yeah, yeah. I went to I went to a reasonable number of shows, not a ton, because again, journalism school, no time for anything. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I went to a few actually. I once uh, <laughs> a really good friend of ours, and actually, um, I did a comic on him. I got to get ready to do part two. My friend Adam, who I, I did this comic about his, uh, he, he's been sort of going on a search for his birth parents. He's adopted. He's Korean. Uh, but I met him when I accidentally snuck into the cat's cradle. I really didn't mean to. I had a ticket, but I kind of like, I didn't know how long it would take to walk there from my dorm. And I ended up getting there like half an hour early and no one was around. And I assumed that maybe I had the date wrong because normally you see like a line of people lined up in front of the cat's cradle. So I just kind of walked inside and yeah. I was looking around. I walked up to a group of people that I guess were like the roadies. And I was like, hey, what's going on? And they're like, nothing. <laughs> so we just kind of started talking. And then the guys that are worked at the cat's cradle started setting up and one of them was like, hey, can you hold this door real quick? So I was holding the door and then I helped him open up like the ticket booth. <laughs> I just kind of started working. Yeah. Um, and then later, and so in that, in the course of that, like I met Adam and then much later in the evening after I'm, it was like the show I think was uh, Black Rebel Motorcycle Club. And so it's much later in the show and I went, I was like, I, I think I need to go. So I'm going around to say my goodbyes. And then Adam's like, you know, we were just exchanging stories here did you just come in? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And he's like, why? And I was like, I don't know. This, no one said I couldn't. It just came in. You guys put me to work. And I don't know. So that was the beginning of a long and beautiful friendship. I later helped him move cross country, which was a, a very interesting experience. We, we blasted across, across the country in a Penske truck in three days. It was just blur. Blur wow. countryside. Yeah. <laughs> Is that how you moved to uh, the West Coast as well, or did you Oh, fly? no, no, no. I flew. I, I didn't have a lot of stuff. I mean, I was coming out of college. Yeah. What was there to move? And honestly, Adam probably could have just taken a plane. Like, there was <laughs> nothing in the back of that Penske truck. It, it, it was just one of those things. He, he assumed that, you know, you need a truck when you move. So we got one. <laughs> you know. <laughs> to be up. To be fair, he did have a drum kit to move, but there was, there was like, almost nothing else in there. Yeah. <laughs> so what was it like plugging into the... The scene in San Francisco, art-wise, and I guess even music-wise, and just now that's your, you know, surroundings. It's far different than Charlotte or Chapel Hill. Mm, plugging in is a strong word for anywhere that I've lived. <laughs> um, 
I think probably the closest I got to plugging in would be volunteering with 826 Valencia, um, which I really love. And I heartily, heartily endorse it for anybody that, that has just moved to town anywhere where there is an 826 location. And we've talked about uh, in previous episodes about 826 LA. I was briefly volunteering there. Can you mm-hmm. uh, tell the audience a little bit about 826? So 826 is a... It's a tutoring center. It's mostly focused on literary skills, and there's lots of different ways you can volunteer. And so the different ways I did, you can volunteer with field trips where kids come to the shop and you help them write a book. For that, I there were a couple times when I was the the leader where you're taking the ideas from the kids and helping them sort of put them together in a night in, into a story. I did the I was the illustrator a couple times. Honestly, not as many times as I would have liked to, but um, it, it it's so tough doing that job. You have to draw so so fast. Um, I think if I were going to do it again, I would need like the big giant jumbo sharpie where you can yeah. make really big bold you know pictures. I don't know. It's tough. Um, so I did those two jobs. I led a couple of different workshops, which was really fun. I did uh, playwriting both times. And I did one in school, which was also for playwriting. In school is where you go to a school and you work with them on a class project. Um, and so that they, they just have, um, they've got really great people working there. It's just such a great energy. They, make, they try to make it as easy as possible in volunteers. Um, so that you know you don't have a lot of pressure hanging over your head like oh my gosh what if I don't do it right what if I screw up which was constantly sort of my feeling going into it I was like oh my god I hope I do it right but really they just they didn't they made it very very easy and you, you know met a lot of really incredible very enthusiastic people working for that you meet a lot of great kids and so that honestly that was something that was a lot of fun for me to do when I was new in a city and I didn't know anybody um so yeah, that's that's eight two six, and it it was funny at eight two six Valencia because every once in a while you would see Dave Edgers come in and out, and he's just one of those people that has like sort of the hovering cloud of intensity around him at all times. Yeah. I think I spoke to him once, and I I was like trying to tell him a joke, and it was I felt very awkward. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember what it was. It was just I was trying to tell him a joke that one of the kids had told me, and I think. He, gave me a courtesy laugh but <laughs> very strange um so you um were had moved there and and you uh connected with paul because you paul was already there yeah paul was already there yeah. he was already my boyfriend yep yep um and we actually got engaged not too long after i moved there he proposed a teeny bit too soon you know but <laughs> we did get married eventually <laughs> <laughs> what was where was the proposal uh, uh. yeah so he decided it would be a good idea to put the ring on my finger while I was asleep. However, he put it on the wrong finger and it wouldn't go over the knuckle because the ring was too small. And so he keeps jamming it, trying to jam it past the knuckle, pushing, 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 taking a little bit of skin with it. He can't get it past the knuckle. It's stuck now on the knuckle. And then he's like, eh, that'll sort itself out. <laughs> And just leaves it and goes to sleep. And I wake up when I when I like bend my hand in my sleep, and the pain wakes me up out of a dead sleep. And I wake up, and it's just like my finger is a mess, and I just I'm freaking out a little bit. And so mo- the I, Paul kind of got so flustered, so flustered because I was yelling at him <laughs> that he actually forgot to to ask me and 
at all. Like, there were no sweet words of tenderness. Like, after I calmed down and we got the ring off my hand and put it on the right finger, I accepted. But, like, there was there was no proposal. And so he's, he's had to suffer for that ever since because, of course, you know, the Internet has made it so... So very difficult for men these days as far as proposals are concerned. Because everybody puts their adorable, elaborately planned, you know, proposals on the internet. And you got to you gotta suffer through that. You got to look at it on Facebook. And then you got to, you know, call your beloved in and say, look at this. <laughs> look at the form this man's love has taken. <laughs> at least I didn't fake my own death. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I can never believe that. I can never believe it when I hear stories about somebody that thinks that that's a good idea where they're going to fake their own death or they're going to fake a kidnapping. Oh, my God. My dad actually worked with somebody who decided that fake kidnapping his his intended was the way to propose, actually went through with it. Like, oh, wow. ha- faked a carjacking, was dragging her around the side of the car to put her in the trunk, and then he comes around the side and he pops the question, oh, my God, What? <laughs> How do you say yes to that? But she did. <laughs> what? I, I don't oh, understand. Man. And it's like, there are so many bad outcomes to that. How has no one been killed yet? Like, like you don't know? What if the girl is like a judo champion and she flips you and like slams your head in the car door and then runs for it? Yeah. Or what if she soils herself? Like, you might in a very panicking situation. Like, what if that happens? Yeah. <laughs> like, I, you know, like, are you really going to ask her when she's swimming in urine? And you know, like, <laughs> what a special moment for you. <laughs> man. I don't know, man. I, 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 I don't endorse that. Like, yeah. It, gals, if your fellow proposes to you that way, maybe, maybe, maybe go around and ask your friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you yeah. should say yes. Yeah. Stunt proposals. Uh, You know, we actually saw a proposal. Um, We went to dinner with some friends last weekend, and uh, it it was in like in downtown LA. They still had some of the Christmas lights up, and somebody had set up some candles and a little little banner of hearts. It was nice. But the really the kind of the deal breaker (laughs) is that so we were watching this this girl is waiting, you know, and like there she's like got her friends there, and they're psyching her up, and they've got cameras, which I you kind of figure, you know. That's fine. But then her intended is coming down the street, followed by this entire camera crew who has been following her for blocks. No. Come on, man. Like, did you really need the film of the girl walking down the street for blocks? Like, <laughs> anyway, so they finally they fi- yeah, finally get in the same location and the girl proposes. And it's very sweet. But it, w- it was a little strange to see like, the camera crew following her. Yeah, 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 yeah. A little, little much. The banner was nice. Yeah. <laughs> it, had, it was pretty. It was paper hearts. It was sweet. You know. <laughs> so how, how long were you in San Francisco before you guys decided to move to L.A.? And what prompted that move? Um, let me think here. Six and a half years? Yeah, about. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we were just, you know, living there. We actually, uh, we bought his parents' house after we, after we got married. And, you know, we're very happily installed there. Um, but the, uh, the reason for the move is like, I've been, you know, tr- working on being a screenwriter, as I mentioned, and it's just one of those things where you gotta, you have to move to LA in order to, to try to, to genuinely try. And I basically, I'd gotten to the point where my writing was competent enough that I would not be embarrassed to, you know, have it circulate amongst professionals. And really that was, that, that was kind of it. 
it was just getting about time and, you know, time to go. And uh, the place where we're living now was recently vacated by his cousin who had just finished pharmacy school. So we kind of figured we'd shoot in there and that sort of thing, you know. So, you know, not a terribly big deal. (laughs) (laughs) So you've been out here about a year now? No. Uh, We came in August. Oh, okay. And uh, I immediately left for like a month. I was making a short film in North Carolina for pretty much the entire month of October. So it was kind of weird to like... So you just got here. Basically, yeah. (laughs) Like, even though we moved in August, I really feel like I've only lived here since November, since I was gone for all of October. Um, And most of December. Oh, and most of December. <laughs> I okay. forgot about that. So, yeah, we've maybe clocked about six weeks in Los Angeles so far. Um, yes, we were very new to town. So. Yeah. Um, but as you mentioned, you, you had some friends here already, mm-hmm. you, me. Who, how did you get to meet? Um, well, it started out as an internet thing. She had done this uh, comic about Claudia Kishi and the, well, that character and her fashion sense. And I loved it, and because you know I was a big Babysitters Club fan when I was a kid, and so but but Claudia Kishi also deeply influenced my descent <laughs> into fashion, um, and I actually distinctly remember it. Like, and I drew a comic about it. Basically, we were driving, my mom was driving us to go shopping somewhere. At, like, I don't know, it was like what? There's this kind of store that I'm not sure exists out here. Um, but it exists in North Carolina or in many places in the South where it's this giant department store and it's not really in departments, so to speak. It's just this big warehouse and you got like men's stuff on one side, kids stuff over here, women's stuff over there. And there's a big line of like boots and belts and hats cutting it down the middle. And in the back, there's like, there's the men's dressing side and there's the women's dressing side, but they're not dressing rooms. It is one room. It is a room with like dozens of mirrors around the wall and there's this one little raised dais in the middle of the room. I don't know what it's for. I guess maybe if you're trying on a formal dress and you need to stand up on something so that it doesn't drag on the ground. Although God help you if you're buying a formal dress from this place. <laughs> All the merchandise is packed really close together on on racks. There's not like mannequins abounding showing you what there is. It's just Stuff on racks. You got to dig through, you know, you might lose an arm, something like that. Cheap bargain basement stuff. And I remember going there and my sister was complaining. She didn't want to go there. She wanted to shop there. Because, I mean, she was, like a, she was like a teenager at the time. And I, she wanted to shop at the Limited. The Limited was very big at the time. Right. She wanted to go to the mall. The mall. You know. And I understand. But me and my mom was telling her, there's no way. We're going to go and we're going to get our basics from here. And I was like... Trying, again, trying to apple polish. And I said, I don't even care about fashion. You know, trying to win points for my mom. And she's like, oh, you will one day. And then I sat back and I was like, really? Huh. Well, then I better I better look into this whole thing if I'm going to get into it eventually. So I, the only thing that I knew that was fashionable was Claudia Kishi. And I was <laughs> like, hmm, okay. So she likes really bright, crazy patterns. And she likes, you know like big sweaters and, you know, like leggings and she likes leg warmers and whatnot. She likes neon. And so anyway, basically we got there and I went down the line and just grabbed everything that was a horrible garish color. And I was like, fashion, fashion, fashion. (laughs) I ended up with like, I think I I remember one of them. It was like an orange t-shirt with purple and green giant polka dots. There was 
a sailboat shirt that was like white and then the sailboat made of like shiny material and bright neon colors again with the neon thing i think i got like some leggings and some biker shorts and i had like a little orange heart-shaped coin purse that was like a fanny pack oh my god but the best the piece de la resistance was like this jean jacket with fringe across the back and, sh and arms that was the fringe was made of rainbow beads that was the thing of beauty. I wore the crap out of that. <laughs> I don't know whatever happened to it. I think I think eventually the beads started breaking off, but it was beautiful. And if I could find one again, I'd probably wear it. Um, so yeah, so I drew that comic and I sent it to Yumi. And uh, so that's kind of how we started communicating. And shortly after that was the Ape Con. That's when we met in person for the first time and just kind of continued correspondence until we moved down here. And now, you know, pals. Yeah, yeah, and then we, you and I met at uh, her book launch at Skylight mm -hmm. Books, and That's I true. got to see you. Uh, it was that weekend at yeah, the yeah, East yeah. Side Zine Market, um, and, and I was going to grab you to interview you there, but I'm glad we're here today because <laughs> uh, we get to do the full length interview. Um, and then also, you said again, uh, as far as Sasquatch.com goes, and this thing that came up with. Uh, that, that's gone viral boys night this was a collaboration she said with max landis yes uh so max and i met what year was that was that 2011 2012 right in austin oh, yeah, like, no no no, no, no. Like, like maybe it was earlier yeah i guess maybe it was earlier that year yeah. or was it i can't remember maybe it was earlier that year anyway um so a really good friend of mine mark sable who is brilliant he writes uh graphic novels brilliant brilliant guy very cool and he had met Max at the Dubai Comic Con. They were both there. And I guess Chronicle had just come out on DVD. And I was sort of going through a phase with my cartoons. You know, like, I, I just, like, trying different things out. And I was going through a phase at the time where I would, like, interview people and then do comics of the interview. It was kind of fun, but, ooh, so much work. It is a lot of work to transcribe an interview. Holy yes. crap. Yeah. <laughs> I've done it professionally and personally, and yeah. Yeah. And also, also, I was getting the impression that people weren't really reading the interviews and so I was like maybe it's a lot of work that I'm just doing for me I don't know so uh have I done it I don't think I've done any since Max anyway uh but I was very interested to talk to him because of course I was a big fan of Chronicle and so Mark hooked us up for that and Max really uh, enjoyed his the the finished result you know the you know the pictures and the interview and all that and so after that every now and again I, I would just get a little email from him or a text saying, like, can you draw this? Can you draw that? That sort of thing. Or picture this. That kind of thing. Um, <laughs> so that's kind of how we we began collaborating. And some of that stuff actually it hasn't even been on my website. Some of that was just sort of, you know, between the two of us. Um, and But, yeah, as time has gone on, every now and again it will be something he says or something he talks about. And I'll think, oh, I, I really like that. And I'll, I'll put ink to it. And so it was it was spring of last year that I uh, we, we I, I did something with him called that we ended up calling a thousand more. It was like he texted me. He was in the car in rush hour traffic and listening to some song, Christina Perry's song that was from Twilight. The I think I think it is called a thousand more or, some, or whatever. Yeah, it's like I will love you for a thousand, a thousand years and a thousand more, something like that. Anyway, so he was listening to that and he was imagining like this big grand idea and he was just texting me the, like the list of things. And 
uh, I happened to be in the middle of watching like a marathon of Downton Abbey, and so I was all over it. I was like, yes, because <laughs> his pitch was all about like World War One and stuff like that. I was like on it, you know. <laughs> so I drew that, and it was a nice little, um, it was a nice little wordless comic. It had a lot of, uh, you know, great little emotional leaps there. And so I guess after that, he just he he it just occurred to him that it you know. That I I might you know like that maybe he should shoot me <laughs> some of his short some of his short scripts you know to see if we could do something a little bit a little bit longer and so Boys Night is the one he sent me well that was in the batch that he sent me but that was the one he was really enthusiastic about and I really connected with a couple of the scenes in there you know and a lot of times it's like that you'll read a script and you'll just be like. It, there will just be like one or two things that really hit you. And you're like, I will draw the whole thing just to draw these two things. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, it was uh, Donald Duck singing to himself on the toilet. Um, and that bit where like Mickey and Minnie are having their interaction. Cause you know, and it's really funny. Cause like I'm married, Max is not. And it, so it's kind of interesting to me. I think he sort of, uh, it was just interesting. To me, they kind of hit upon this thing that is, it's just so it so resonates with married couples like the, the the interactions that they have where you can be fighting one minute and then like so in love with each other in the next and just kind of the so how sometimes you like you're you're concerned because you don't know what's going on with your partner and so there's this little bit in there where like Mickey's talking about like something's wrong with Minnie and I don't know what and it's sort of leading you to believe that maybe she's having an affair but then he looked into it and she's not having an affair she's just working out like crazy at the gym and he's like I don't know what it means <laughs> and I was like that's so brilliant because he, I can understand like how panicking that must be when you realize something is really wrong with my partner they're not telling me what it is and I don't know what it is to tell to ask him about it so I don't know what to do like that, that was such a great moment and, you know I don't even know if I gave it justice like in the way that I drew it but it was basically those two things like those two things really hit me and so I was just I was on board but the problem was I had to learn how to draw Disney characters and I'm not <laughs> good at staying on model I'm really not I'm so bad at it I am not trained at all I don't I have never taken art classes and so like I I had to sort of learn from scratch like I printed out a bunch of those model sheets from the internet and I I even got like a how to draw Mickey book <laughs> um and so honestly this because the it took seven and a half months to draw Something like that. Um, but a lot of it, it was learning how to draw the characters and drawing the... the I, I drew like a chapbook outline first and then like just making the very slow transition. I drew so slowly because I was trying to stay on model. Um, and so, yeah, it took a really, really long time to do it. Uh, it was ended up being 29 pages from a 15-page script. <sighs> And, and yeah, so we, when, when it was finally, finally done, <laughs> um, I, it was just one of those things like, like I, I, I've been drawing it for so long. I was, you know, it's just like, you've stared at it so long. You don't even know if it's good or not. There were like a couple of drawings where I was like, these are really good. The rest of it's shit. I don't know if it's, oh, sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. Okay. <laughs> I, you know, I, I didn't know. So it was, it was really, it was very gratifying to see it well received, um, and so 
once we put it up, we put it up, what, the beginning of October or was it November? It was in November, right? Yeah, it was November because October I was in North Carolina. Um, so when we put it up at first, basically the pattern of reaction that we would normally get, like when I do something that's a collaboration with Max, usually the first wave of traffic that we get are like Max's friends and fans. And so that was the first wave of traffic. So like in all his friends were like, oh my God, this is so great. It's really good. I can't believe this is finally a comic, blah, 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 blah. So that was very cool. Um, and then of course we get his fans who are writing to the website. They're like, Max, you're brilliant, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, we had a little lull and I kind of thought it was over because that's normally what happens. It's like normally you get a little spike, it's over. And then you got to draw the next thing if you want to see the little ticker move again. Right. <laughs> um, but then it started swelling again, and this time it was, it seemed like it was comic people, people that, that draw or, or write or somehow involved with graphic novels or online comics or things like that. Um, and so that was very, very gratifying, because like then people were writing and talking about the art, and they were like, oh, I really like the art here. And I was like, oh, you do? That's <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> um, and, but then the there was this big surge which I don't know where that came from so we had first little bump second little bump and then and this is actually even before it went on Kotaku like and I Paul actually had to explain to me what Kotaku was when it went like uh, my friend Paula texted me she's like you're on Kotaku I was like I'm on the what now you know um but actually it was a couple days before it went on Kotaku we had like this one day of traffic that I think was like what like 200,000 hits or something like that it was yeah, it was pretty pretty insane. It was really, really high. Very, very high. So high, I was like, something is wrong with these. We had to upgrade the website. Though. We did. We did. We got the very nice email from from Squarespace. They're like, we're really glad for you, but you really need to pay us some more now so we can host <laughs> this for you. <laughs> um so yeah, and then of course like but that that was really our high point. And then like after that it kinda like tapered off and um but yeah, that was it. Once once we had the big spike, like because before that, I was like, you know, I kept sort of, I was on Twitter and I was trying to reply to everybody that was sharing it, and I was like, oh, thank you, thank you for sharing that sort of thing. Uh, but as soon as it went, as it hit the big big spike, I had to leave the internet because when you get the big traffic, that's when the trolls come out. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, you get the lovely compliments the negging you know which is like where someone will tell you what's wrong with your thing and then they're like but i really liked it anyway thank you sir thank you so much (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah so uh you asked me earlier about whether i go by ashley quatch or ap quatch and i Mm -hmm. when i put that one up i put it as ap quatch so it was really funny because i think there were a lot of people that just looked at that and didn't look at any of the rest of the website and so a lot of people thought i was a dude and we're and there was like even a German website that I didn't realize it at first, but I guess did, Paul. I think Paul. Did you translate it or somebody else? Well, Google. Obviously. Oh no no no! What it was? What it was? I uh, somebody else was correcting the German website. They're like, by the way, uh, and they said this in German. They're like, by the way, uh, you know, Quatch is uh, is ein Frau, <laughs> is a woman, you know, and but it was really cute. It was uh, it was funny. Um, so yeah, like I, I got a, I got several emails addressing me as if I was a guy, and that was kind of fun. It was funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that was our little our little ride, and of course, but you know, uh, now it's sort of phased out, and we're on to the next thing. But it was fun, um, you know. But, so we'll we'll see if we can ever do that again. Yeah. 
Um, I am actually already starting to look at my next collaboration with Max. Uh, he sent me a ton of scripts after that thing went viral. Um, and then he pinged me this week to, I, I guess there was, there's always one in the batch. <laughs> there's always one in the batch that, that he loves more than the rest of them, you know? And so he finally told me which one it was, you know? Um, and so we'll, maybe we'll see that in the fall this year if I can work with the same speed I had with boys. <laughs> this one will be tough though, because, um, uh, it's got a lot of things that I love to draw, uh, but there's a lot of things in there that I am not accustomed to drawing, you know, more, you know, more realistic, more, uh, a lot of machinery and things like that. I, I'm not real great with cars and artillery and things like that. Yeah. So, um, that's going to be the big challenge this time is learning how to draw those things. Hooray. <laughs> how do you, how do you feel about now as a person who, um, is interested in writing and screenwriting mm -hmm. and um i believe you were working on a film at uh, you, as you said at some point mm -hmm. so i mean you work in various medium and now you know your popularity as a, a comic artist is on the rise so that's taking up more of your time i would imagine mm -hmm. did you imagine that you'd find yourself it is it is uh, um well, actually, I wouldn't say that it does take up more than my time. I, 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 I'm very conscientious about trying to prioritize when it come to, comes to projects and making sure I'm not taking too much time away from writing uh, since, like, uh, I, I, you know, as good as I may be at other things, uh, that is my greatest strength. That's what I'm best at. Uh, you know, just because I am not known for it yet doesn't mean that that's not my greatest strength. Um, it, it's unfortunate because it is harder to break in and it's harder to be known for that. So, you know, I, I, you know, I keep telling Paul, there's a very distinct possibility that like, I, I, you know, I may never break in it, it may never, may never happen. It doesn't happen for everybody. It doesn't happen for most people, you know, but there's no, that's no reason to stop working on it. Cause I, I just love it. You know, it's really fun. Um, but as far as like, <laughs> it, I, I suppose, you know, if, if I ever were to like get to the point where, where people are saying like, this is your job now, you are a cartoonist, 100%. I think of you 100% as a cartoonist, you're not a writer. That would definitely be frustrating. But I'm not successful enough at that either for that to be an issue yet. Um, however, my friend Mark, who I mentioned before, Mark Sable, he is, he is always in my ear. He's like, you should just turn your scripts into graphic novels, you know. And I'm like, wow, that sounds like a lot of time. Because, <laughs> I mean, it took me seven months to draw a 15-page script. My scripts are like 120 pages all right, the time. Right. They should be 90. They're 120. I gotta, I gotta work on that. <laughs> um, but still, it's 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 a lot. I mean, like naturally, you 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 carve a lot out when you go through the graphic novel process. But uh, it's 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 a giant investment of time. So I think that would be the biggest thing. Like, if I were, if I were to actually take the time to do that, that would be me very definitively saying like, this is what I do now. Because if I were to take that kind of project on there really wouldn't be time to work on your scripts. It really wouldn't. It would be, you know, it would be very decisive. So I haven't quite come to that yet. We'll see. Um, <laughs> uh, I kind of forgot where I was going with that. Well, tell me about your experience filmmaking. Um, sure. So 
My first short film was 2011. We did a Indiegogo for that one. Um, it was this short script that I'd written for a contest, and the theme of the contest was missing and abducted children, or no, uh, uh, ex child abduction and exploitation. That's what the theme was. Um, and we actually, uh, well, I got up to like the to the the finals, and so I had to recruit a director for the pitch and so I got my friend Robin who I met she she hired me to rewrite a, a horror script of hers so we'd worked together for about a year on that um, and she just she really really fell in love with the script I, I wrote it at, at the time there was a girl in Antioch who had just been she'd just been discovered by the the Berkeley campus police of all people um, she'd been hold up in that backyard for I think like 11 years and also around the same time there was a, a German man who had been found out to have a dungeon in his house and he'd been keeping his daughter there for 20 20 30 years something like that it was it was insane um and of course that was you know before the the was it Philadelphia Philadelphia the three women mm -hmm. yeah yeah <laughs> The, oh my god, how can there be this many secret dungeons and backyards yeah. and houses? Oh my god. Um, and so it's kind of based on that. So because I, you know, it's hard to write a 15-page script about something as big as child abduction and exploitation. So I just kind of started with, uh, you know, as small a box as I could think of, which was someone escaping that. Um, and so I tried to imagine, you know, what would I do if I was, you know, trapped and I'd finally decided that it was time to escape because that's a really hard thing that's it's hard to understand the mindset of a of someone who's been imprisoned that long and the you know stockholm syndrome or sort of what it takes to go from day to day and survive and just the way that your mind changes um so to give her motivation this girl this girl i gave her a child because like that that motherly instinct that can that can overcome a lot you know um, and so I thought, like, like, okay, so you're in, you're in a dungeon. Chances are, you know, you don't really have any weapons around. What can you do? <laughs> um, and then I, I, I kind of had this faint recollection. I was like, aren't apple seeds like a really good source of natural cyanide? And I looked it up, and it was. And I know it's stretching, it's stretching it a lot. Like it's, it's not strong enough that you can really poison somebody. I mean, it would take a lot of ground up apple seeds. I know that. So, like, <laughs> in the movie, she doesn't actually successfully kill him with the ground-up apple seeds. You know, he just gets really sick. But, you know, that's what she's been doing. She's been saving apple seeds, grinding them up, hiding them, and finally she tries to poison him with them. Doesn't really pan out, but it's enough time for her to, like, run for it. I don't want to spoil the end of the movie, but, you know, that was basically the, the idea. Um, so we got up to the finals, and we did our pitch to the producers, and the only trouble was they, they wanted to know if it could work without the kid in it, you know. Um, and unfortunately it kind of didn't like it's, it really changes the, like, like most of the, the real joy of, of, of that script was the fact that there was this really complicated relationship between like, you know, the mom and the kid and the kid and the, and this man who is actually her father, you know, like he's her kidnapper, but he's her father. It's crazy. That's, that's a beautiful little bit of complexity, but like I, you know, without it, like it's, you spend more of your pages explaining why she is choosing to escape now, or at least I would feel that it was necessary because, I don't know, you know, and I, I, I actually, I had like a slight idea for like something, like if we really needed to go without the kid, my other idea was to have it be like, you know, 
the, the kidnapper dies of a heart attack and she's suddenly free and she goes upstairs, but then it turns out he has a whole other family upstairs. That was the other <laughs> idea. That's pretty good too. But I, but I didn't have that ready in the pitch room. So anyway, we didn't get it. Uh, but Robin, she was just so in love with the script. She's like, it doesn't matter. We got to make it. So we did little our little crowdfunding thing, mm-hmm. which was uh, such a nightmare. Oh, my God. It's so hard. It's it, Nothing can prepare you for how exhausting it is to shake people down for money. It's, it's, really, <laughs> it's really, really tough. And you keep thinking that it's not going to come together. And, like, every day you go out there and hustle. And it's just we, – it it's, it's hard. And so I don't envy anybody – that task and I, I've tried to help my friends that have gone and done it my, uh, my you, know, you may have seen like on my website my, when my friend Mark was doing his Kickstarter for his Dracula graphic novel like you know we did a whole bunch of perks for him I, I, I drew a, a whole lot of vampires for on request for people I saw I saw yeah. my favorite was the hammer Dracula the hammer Dracula I'm I'm actually gonna make that into a sticker which I will have at scene fest <laughs> good, good. <laughs> hammer Dracula was the best like they uh they, they told the people that gave for that perk that they could ask for any vampire they wanted but they gave a few examples of what to ask for and one of them was Carlton from the Fresh Prince as a vampire which you saw and one of them was you know, hammer, you know, vampire hammer, you know, <laughs> uh, and that drawing I really love. Cause like I was Googling pictures of hammer to draw it. And I, I just kept seeing dance poses and I was like, I wish I could draw the whole thing. You know? And I was like, well, why not? Anyway. So anyway, um, so yeah, Robin was the director on apple seeds. And so we made that one in the summer of 2011. And right now it's, uh, we're entering into festivals and things like that. So Fingers crossed for which oh, we're hoping for Cleveland. That would be nice. Mm. I like that Cleveland festival. Um, we'll see. We'll see. But it's it's hard. Like again, like the, it's it's harder than you know to get into festivals because it, so many factors depend on it. You don't. You can't know about what the programmers have in mind when they're shaping that year's docket. And you only have so much money. You can only enter so many festivals. So you gotta cross your fingers and spit in the wind. So, <laughs> it's it's really tough. There, you know, it's it's hard to have a short film because you know who cares. <laughs> um, and so the short film I made this year, I made it just because I wanted to get a little bit of experience as a director. I because I, 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 I grew up doing theater actually from like age eleven to age twenty one, twenty two. Like I I worked with like the local theater. Um, and I actually even went to uh, an acting conservatory for a little while. You know, and it's it's such a fun thing. I, I mean, I didn't pursue acting for obvious reasons. <laughs> no, I don't think that's fair. I don't think that. She just pointed to her, her face. You're a lovely woman. Well, thank you. But, like, the, tr- the truth is, like... Paul, lovely woman. Yes. Yes. All right. I, I didn't, I, again, I didn't pursue, I didn't pursue acting. I'm better at writing. That's fine. But, uh, but it was really fun to reconnect with that. Uh, Cause when you, when you direct so much of that is working with the actors and it's super duper fun. Oh my gosh. Like it's just such a, such a thrill. Um, I was also producing it myself though, which is a freaking nightmare. Oh my God. If you have the option to not produce and direct <laughs> at the same time, take it. Like don't, don't do that to yourself. It ruined several months of my life. Um, I was, 
Yeah, my apologies. My, my my Robin, who directed the the Appleseed short, like at one point, like I just went to her house and I was crying. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and she was like, Honey, you're gonna be fine. <laughs> Get a producer to be on set. You know, like somebody else to do that for you while you're directing, and you'll be okay. So fortunately, like my super panic stricken you know pre-planning really paid off like you know by the time the the shoot days rolled around we were ready to go i'd planned for every eventuality because i was so panicked and sure that we were going to fail but we managed to get through it we got our locations i got some terrific it, so the the this this story is basically it's it's based on a story that my friend shira told me she used to work uh, as a manager at a really seedy motel and there were lots of prostitutes that used to hang around because that's you know what you do when you work at a seedy motel, right. and she would and she would try to befriend them. And honestly, if I was if if you know if I was going to turn this into a feature, like that's what I'd probably focus on because it's really hard to earn the trust of a prostitute, as it turns out. <laughs> um, but this story happens after that. It already after she had been really putting in the time and the effort, and it was like World AIDS Day, and somebody came around with pamphlets. They're like you know free AIDS testing down the street. And she gave she passed them along to the prostitutes, and then one of them said that she'd never had an HIV test. And everyone was like, "What? No, you have to have one. That's just that's the industry. You got to do that. Yeah, you know the industry." Um, <laughs> so they all go down there with her for moral support, and they're hanging around the waiting room, waiting their turn. And somewhere in the clinic, somebody starts screaming, not like. Not like in a horror movie where it's like, ah, high pitched, one tone, unbreaking. Ah, it's horrible. It's just, it's filling the room. People are kind of shutting up. Everything's falling quiet. Just this one long, unbroken scream. And then suddenly, whoop, it stops. And then the poor prostitute passes out. And that's the end of the story when Shira told it to me. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Where's the rest of it? She, there was no more stories. So I that, that was the original first version of the script. And then people read it and they were like, uh, what? <laughs> so I tacked on an ending where they go to Dairy Queen. Because, I mean, that's what you do after you go to the doctor's office. You go to Dairy Queen. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's, you know, it's a sweet script. And I had some very, very good actresses. Um, which was oh, such a blessing because you know I had to I had to cast long distance. I was casting local actresses in Charlotte, um, so I just really lucked out. Luckily for me, Charlotte's kind of becoming a place for the film industry. You know, like they shoot Homeland there, they did the Hunger Games there, they did I don't know, they did the the pilot of Sleepy Hollow stuff like that. Like yeah. you know, there's there's a lot of stuff that shoots around there. So uh, luckily for me, there's still a fair number of actresses out there that are. They've kind of been getting some experience, but they haven't moved to New York or Los Angeles yet. So I was kind of fishing out of that pool. But they were great. You know, the, I had a couple of them. They just really surprised me. So so you have L.A. Zine Fest coming up Sunday, mm-hmm. February 16th. Yes. At Helms Bakery. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, here on Shaky Town Radio, we will be talking more about that and all the events leading up to it. Um, I have uh, a launch for Fairdig Press at the Pop Pop on Wednesday, February 12th at 8 p.m. I'm releasing Aurora Lady, who's been on the show, her zine, Don't Hide Behind Your Skirt. We're going to have uh, refreshments from Plant Food for People, have a couple other surprises. Um, there's the readings the night before, or actually afternoon before, um, 4 p.m. to 5.30 
at Beyond Baroque in Venice. I have a lot of great readers lined up. Uh, Erica Sender, our friend who you've heard on the show before, will be our MC. Uh, Daisy Noemi and I are curating that, so you'll get to hear uh, some readers that we really enjoy. Um, And then our friend Yumi is one of the readers uh, on Thursday night at Ann Penn's Press, uh, as well as Tomas Moniz. Um, and uh, Jonas Cannon, who's, uh, who does Cheer the F Up zine. He, he's reading that event as well. A lot of great stuff coming up. Um, so check out LAZineFest.com for that. Uh, we'll talk about it on ShakedownRadio.com as well. Um, I'm at FairDig.com, and I'll be talking about that stuff there too. Uh, and yes, Ashley, you and I will be there at Helms Bakery the day of. Uh, what else do you have lined up for 2014? What are your uh, you have the collaboration with uh, Max that you talked about starting to work on? Um, you'll be getting this new uh, these new films out, uh, the short films that you've done. Let's hope. Let's hope. <laughs> <laughs> that that's the plan with festivals and stuff. And you're starting your first real year in Los Angeles. So what are you hoping to accomplish? Is it, are you just taking one project at a time, or do you have like some grand schemes and dreams? I actually have a very ambitious uh, schedule. Like that's one of my favorite things about the new year is I sort of lay out my 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 schedule for the year. Like I, I sort of plan about what I'm going to do. When, and you know, sometimes you stick to it, sometimes you don't. But <laughs> um, in 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 years before, I have had much more modest schedules because I've always been, you know, working part-time and, you know, doing something to bring in a little bit of bacon. Um, and this is going to be my first full year just doing the creative stuff, just writing, just drawing. That's it. It's kind of a, it's kind of a leap. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is the, the big leap that we talk about on this show a lot. It was, it was a big leap. It really stressed me out last year when I was... Um, when I kind of came to that decision, Paul was very helpful in keeping me sane about that. Um, and it was something I really, I really struggled with, you know. Uh, but you know, I in the end, I decided it was best to try to to give it a whirl. So, um, so yeah, so it's it's so I, I have that thing with Max that I mentioned that I'm going to do the the new one. We'll see, we'll see how, how quickly we can manage to crank that out. I, I've been experimenting a little more on Sasquatch with doing longer form comics, uh, a little, a little tiny bit higher quality, you know, than my usual sort of chicken scratch where I'll just try to scratch out a joke, you know. Um, I, my Christmas comic was maybe a little bit of a, a sampling of, you know, sort of more of the idea of what, what I might try, try to do more of this year. Um, writing wise, I've got a very, very full list of things that I need to get done. There, there's so many, uh, outlines that I've had sort of stacking up on the back burner that I simply haven't had time to attend to. Um, and so the, one of my big goals this year is to, is to tackle them and just sort of wipe them out. Um, and there, there, I had a script that was in the semifinals, the Nichols last year. So of course I need to edit that and resubmit this year. So your fingers um uh, but i'm very very excited uh, like I, I already actually wrote my first script for the year believe it or not um i i i, I outlined it with my friend jessica it's really funny actually uh so my friend jessica she's in med school and she is a genius when it comes to this hallmark movies like for the for the holidays right and she so she came to visit me while i was at home on christmas and i started talking about them about like which ones we'd seen and like which ones were crap which ones were really good 
you know, because there's standards, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so we started to outline this this hokey pitch title that actually Paul pitched, Deck the Halls with Matrimony. <laughs> I know, you already love it. <laughs> and it's basically like uh, the... I guess it's like the wedding planner mixed with, um, you know, no, it's just like the wedding planner, basically. <laughs> you know, it's a couple of gals who are best friends that ha- they have a bridal planning business, but they have a whole lot of rush during the holidays. And, you know, then the gal meets a guy and she thinks that, like, they really like each other. But then it turns out, oh, no, she thinks he's the groom of one of the weddings she's planning. Turns out he's not. Don't worry. But, <laughs> <laughs> but there's lots of back and forth. And then, of course, like, she's she's got, like, some you know, some guy that works with them and he sort of mistakenly thinks like, you know, maybe that this girl likes me and maybe I should like, he actually ends up proposing to her during someone else's wedding, which is like such a big no, no. (laughs) (laughs) It's it was a lot of, it was a a big dumping ground for like wedding faux pas, like things that are just so tacky or weird. My favorite, my favorite one is the inappropriate nativity. (laughs) Like it's like their Christmas Eve wedding and it's, it's the bride is pregnant. And so she, She's like dressed as the Virgin Mary, like the the bridesmaids are angels and the groomsmen are shepherds. It's it happens, man. Like it's set in Texas, like well, you know, of course it happens. Um, so that was my that was my first script of the year. It was a lot lighter, but it was a real pleasure because I've been writing about very sad things for the past few years. My last two scripts were about one was about PTSD and the other was about North Korea. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was it was a real pleasure to write something that was kind of light. And of course, I'm getting ready to delve right back into really dark and unpleasant territory with this new one um which is gonna, is gonna be like twin peaks meets fargo basically nice set in montana mm. cool. <laughs> yeah well very awesome so people can find uh always your work on sasquatch.com mm-hmm. and you're on twitter as well yeah I, I should probably do more with my twitter i must uh every now and again like i'll <laughs> like i'll i'll try to live tweet something because I think it's kind of funny when people do that but I'm really I'm not very funny on Twitter I'm I'm just not (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'll leave that to the professionals so yeah people can find me on Twitter people can tweet at me or people can email the website sasquatchcomics at gmail is that right Paul? Yep. There you go. And then on Twitter you are isn't it uh, it's at A-L- Perryman, P-E-R-R-Y-M-A-N. Right. Yeah, yeah. I got that Twitter b- before, like I started the website. The website. Yeah, <laughs> and then I try to look on Twitter, and like the Sasquatch handles taken. Every now and again, like I'll search Sasquatch on in the little Twitter bar, and it's it's a it's a little depressing to me exactly how many teenagers really think that Sasquatch is spelled that way, <laughs> and they'll be calling each other like, "Girl, you a Sasquatch?" I'm like, "Oh no." <laughs> A couple of times I tried replying to them, like, in a joking way, and then they would be like, what are you talking about? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so if, if, uh, if people on Twitter want to keep in touch with what's going on with you and your projects, is at A.L. Perryman. Mm-hmm. All right. And Sasquatch.com. Yep. Great. And, and then I can, of course, meet you and, and get your work at L.A. Zine Fest this year. Yes, you can. I should have some stuff at my table, you know, books and stuff. You know, my new books. I'll have some of the old ones. The old ones are a mess. <laughs> <laughs> I've I thought about because like they I haven't I haven't sold a damn one like I <laughs> like I keep giving them away because they're just so terrible. But um, I thought about having like an a, a buy option on the website where I will write 
critiques of myself like on every <laughs> single page, just like with a sharpie. <laughs> just go through it like this is this should be here. I'm sorry about this. <laughs> Free apology with every order. Basically, it's yeah. like it's my what was the name of that George Clooney Batman that everybody hates? Oh, yeah. it's uh, yeah, forever. Yeah. yeah, it's my Batman forever. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. I tried. <laughs> well, we appreciate you coming on the show and, well, thank you and for having talking me. about your work. And um, until you second guess the nipples on your bat suit, I am Brody Foster Hubbard. <laughs> <laughs> you're the one who brought up George Clooney Batman Forever. Yeah, you're the one who brought up nipples. <laughs> Nobody asked you to do that. <laughs> Now, I, you're gonna, I was thinking about it. You're going to leave these good people with that in your head? You get the last word. You can leave them with whatever you want. <sighs> um, what, what was that? I need, I need like a, a line from Schwarzenegger from that movie. Like, Getting the top up. <laughs> <laughs> Schwarzenegger. <laughs> but sure, we'll go with that one. Getting the chopper. Oh, that was bad. <laughs> It was ice to have you on the show. Ice to have you. <laughs> Let's chill. Because <laughs> if that Sasquatch keeps playing hopscotch, there won't be a wristwatch for miles around. Because he'll play hopscotch till he gets your wristwatch up in that tree crotch, and he'll never come down. So don't play hopscotch. Near any old tree crotch Until that old Watch-stealing, big-feeling Hopscotch and Sasquatch is found